0: We have been going through uh, a series in Galatians, and by the way, my name is Justin. Uh, For those of you that never met me before, and for those of you who have, you didn't know that you were fooled. You have a high school pastor. Uh, I've been hiding behind my beard this past uh, winter, but now that winter is gone, my true colors have been shown, and babyface Justin is here for the next six months, so get used to him. I might talk like this for the rest of the time. <laughs> you may hear me crack a few times today. <laughs> but no, we've been going through a message in Galatians. Uh, and we've been, uh, the series' name is Gospels. And the reason why it's called Gospels is because um, Paul's theme of this letter to the church in Galatia is how there is no other gospel. Yet this church has been listening to false teachers, to people that have been coming in to try to share with them Extras or different gospels, ways to make it into heaven, the the good news, they're manipulating it, changing it, adding to it. And and Paul writes this letter specifically to this church to say, no, remember what I have told you. And so the passage that we're in, we're in chapter 5, we're starting in verse 2 today, it's kind of Paul's closing argument about, um, he, he keeps on talking about the law. And why the law has no place in salvation. And this is kind of the beginning of his conclusion of that. And so he, he reiterates a lot of the stuff that we've been talking through the past few weeks. And we're going to listen again and we kind of hear the intensity of how Paul is trying to begin this close to this letter. Of how serious he is about this. That we need to get this right. And so today's message is called protecting the message, Uh, because it's important not only that we understand what the gospel is, but it's also important that we protect it in our own hearts and in the hearts of other people. And we get to see that intensity in which Paul wants to protect this here in the passages that we're going to read today. So why don't you read with me uh, on the screen or on your phone. In chapter 5, verse 2, Paul starts off, look, I, Paul, say to you nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. We hear this word a lot. It's come up. There was another message where this word came up a lot, and we hear it come up a lot again today, this word circumcision. And what does it mean? Well, circumcision was the Old Testament symbol of, that differentiated the Israelites from the other people. It was a physical symbol that showed that they were different from all the other people. Nobody else uh, got circumcised it, back in the Old Testament during that time. Nowadays, it's kind of common practice in uh, America or the Western world, and so it's, it, it, we don't see it like they saw it, but it was something that was a differentiator. It was something that set them apart, that said, if you have this, then you are God. you are part of God's chosen people. If you don't have this, then we know for certain that you are not part of God's chosen people. It's like in other places of the world, sometimes Christians dress a certain way because they want that differentiator. We are part of the chosen people. We are a Christian. We want to show who we are. And so in the Old Testament, unless you were circumcised, you were not part of God's chosen people. There was no road to salvation. There was no road to God. You weren't one of his children. And so because of this, there were Jews that had received Christ. They heard the message of Jesus, but then they said, no, you know, what we've been taught our whole life is unless you're circumcised, you're really not one of God's children. You're not one of his chosen. You're not, you're not really in this family. And so what they were doing is they were going to these other churches that had been converting non-Jews. They were called Gentiles. They had been getting saved all over the Roman Empire, and they would come in and tell these non-Jewish people, well, if you really want to be saved, then you have to believe in Jesus, but you also have to be circumcised because that is the differentiator between us and the world. That shows them that that we are not the same as them. This is our physical thing that happens. You know, It was like their tattoos. It was something that showed that they were not like the rest. And so they came and they preached, just get circumcised. You need that to be accepted. But thank God for all of us today, all the guys in here especially, that Paul disagreed with this argument. (laughs) Yes, that that deserves a big hand clap for all the fellas in the room. You know, just to give you a kind of the, the painful process of this, I know some of you are like, oh God, where's he going with this? In the Old Testament... The, the Israelites, they had a people that they wanted to become part of Israel. And to become part of Israel, these were their enemies, and they, they started playing a little trick on them. They said, okay, if you want to be part of us, you have to get circumcised. And so an entire people group circumcised themselves. They went, all the guys went through this painful process, full adulthood. Um, and then, like, when they were in the healing process, Israel attacked them and destroyed their country. And it's like, wow, yeah, that's how serious it is. We are very thankful that we don't have to go through this process. If you don't think the Old Testament has, or the Bible in general has crazy stories, think again, have fun, go read it. It gets wild a lot. And so Paul says, no, I disagree with this. There is, there's no middle ground. It's either all or nothing. Jesus did everything that we need, or he didn't do anything that we need. So you either, you either accept Jesus for, for what he's done and what he said in the news that I gave you, or you completely deny him and go, fine, go get circumcised. But know that in your circumcision, you are denying Jesus. And what happened, what's happening here actually smells a lot like covering all your bases. You know, you ever want to kind of get all your ducks in a row, cover all your bases, make sure that you're, you're you know, just in case something happens. That's why we have an entire insurance industry. That's what it's based on. Just in case something happens, I have this to back me up. That's what this smells a lot like, just in case. You know, we know that this is what we've been practicing, but you, you have to get it done because we've been told this forever. And so, yes, you believe in Jesus, but you're a Gentile, so just get this done. And it kind of reminds me of this, you know, and this is how Paul is describing or why he's getting mad. And this is kind of what it looks like to Jesus when you, in salvation, you want to cover all your bases because you're telling him he's not enough. You know, you just imagine you're dating some girl, right? I'm I'm dating some girl and I really like this girl and I really want to marry her. Uh, and, you know, things are going really well. I think I'm going to get the engagement ring soon. I'm, I'm talking about it with my friends. I'm asking her best friend, you know, what kind of diamond cut that she wants. And all this is happening. But I think, you know what, there may be a chance that this doesn't work. And I don't, I don't like to be alone. So just in case this doesn't work and she says no, I'm going to start dating this other girl. I'm going to get my side boo. And if I get my side boo, and you, know, and, you know, next week when I ask her to marry me, if she says no, at least, you know, I can go home and I won't be lonely that night. I, have my, I got my side chick for me. And that's what it looks like to, to that's what we're saying to God, basically. It's like, yeah, I'm going to marry you. I'm going to be with you, God. You, you know... I am going to be your bride. That's how the church is described in the Bible, in the Bible that we are the bride of Christ. I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna do this. I'm going to believe in you. I'm gonna trust in what you did. But, you know, I got these things just in case. I got, I got my side boo here. You know, I, I got something on the side that just in case it doesn't work out with you, just in case you don't satisfy, just in case you, you can't take care of everything that I need, I, I have something here for myself. Paul says this, you who are saved by the law are severed from Christ. You who are saved by the law are severed from Christ. We just read that. It's one or the other. It's Christ or nothing. You cannot come to Jesus and say, hey, I know that I'm going to be saved through you, but also I'm going to follow the law just in case. I'm going to practice these other things just in case it doesn't truly work out with you. Paul strictly and severely says, no, those who follow the law are cut off, are severed from Christ. There is no middle ground. There's no gray area with this. Lots of times in life there's gray area, but this is black and white. This is plain. It's either you follow Jesus for everything or you have turned your back on him. There's no middle ground. You can't, Paul's saying, you can't flirt with the law and then come home to Christ and say, but you were the, always the one I wanted to marry. You were always the one I wanted to be with. You know, you you were the one that I was with during the day, you know, in the open. I took you to the public places, and then, but you know, that, that was somebody else. I only flirted with that person. I was only with them, you know, once in a while. That was your backup. Our belief cannot be shared. Our belief has to be in Christ alone. Because if our belief is diverted into anything else, if we start buying insurance plans for our Christianity, if we start doing other things, looking to other things, people, places, gods, if we start looking elsewhere, even within ourselves, which is what they were doing here, to follow the law, to be good workers of the law, then we're saying our belief is shared, and our belief cannot be shared. Our belief must be fully shared in one, in him. And so Paul, this kind of thought turns sour again in the letter. And Paul, he starts to get upset again. And you can read this with me. Actually, one of these verses is probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible. In verse seven, it starts, you were running well, Would emasculate themselves. Whew. Okay. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> Paul went there. You know, if you hear somebody, it's like, <laughs> did I just hear that? You know? You know, some scholars think this was an attempt at humor in the Bible. Some just think Paul's upset. <laughs> I don't know. For me, it's a little bit of both. I laugh and I'm like, ooh, ouch. In case you didn't understand, he's like, I hope they slip with the knife and castrate themselves. That's what he is saying. That is the the Justin 2017 version, translation of that. But Paul is constantly going through great lengths to reiterate and reinforce his message because it's serious. There is actually a penalty for what you preach and what you believe. And we actually see a penalty both for a false teacher here and a penalty for a true gospel teacher here. And I want to I live in there for a little while. And the first thing I want to talk about is the penalty of the false teacher. Paul hints in this, in this passage that we just read that there's that at God's judgment being on this false teacher, whoever he was, that was falsely proclaiming to them circumcision. And you know, if you read elsewhere in the Bible, if you read one of Peter's letters, his second uh, epistle that he wrote in chapter two, we find it fleshed out kind of what is the penalty of false teaching, of a false teacher. And I, it, that whole chapter is kind of dedicated to, to false teaching. So read it. It's fascinating. If you ever kind of want to be scared into making sure you, what you believe is right, go read 2 Peter 2 today when you get home. Because he says the, the penalty, he, he keeps on describing things that are going to happen to this false teacher. And they live around destruction, around suffering harm, and around judgment. These are very serious things. False teaching, false doctrine, to, to bring in something that was not the gospel is incredibly serious for the apostles. If we think that the all, early church had it all together and they didn't have people going around sharing a mistruth or non-truth, Let's think again because it was serious back then and it's serious today. There are people who take the Bible, there are people that take the message of the gospel and they twist it to their own means. They twist it to be popular, they twist it to be manipulative, they twist it to be damaging and, Paul, and Peter and Second Peter says that destruction is coming to them. That, they are, that, that there's gonna be a harm that is going to be suffered for them, that there's going to be a judgment that comes upon them for this. This is serious. This is not cavalier. It's not, oh, you know, he teaches one thing and I teach another. No, this is not that. There are things in the Bible that we can disagree on, but the gospel is not one of those things. There has to be a clear and a plain understanding of what Jesus has done and what it means for us. And there cannot be deviation from that. Because the moment there is deviation from that, then there's a penalty for that for the teacher. But guess what? There's also a penalty for the people who believe in the false teacher. Because 2 Peter, he talks about not only the penalty of the false teacher, but also the penalty of the followers. He says that they will be enslaved. We just read about that last week with Paul. How false teaching Enslaves you, it captures you. They will be robbed, whether spiritually or financially. Peter hits on both. And they will be seduced to sin. So if we ever wonder, should we get this right? Is it important who I listen to in podcasts? Is it important who I read in books? Is it important who I allow to speak into my life? Then yes, understand that it is very important. It is incredibly important in your life because there is not only judgment for that person, but there are things that will happen in your life because of false teaching. You will allow your heart to be enslaved You will allow yourself to be robbed. You will be seduced to sin. If you wonder, how do I know? If someone teaches something, anything else other than Christ, run. Run fast, run quick. Get out of there. Turn it off. Delete it. Throw the book into a fire. I don't know. Do whatever you have to do. The false teachers preached circumcision 2,000 years ago. That was, that during this time, this was the, the main false doctrine that was coming. But I, I wanted to ask myself, what are some of the false doctrines that we see today today? What are some of the things that we see today that do not put 100% belief in Christ? What are some things that we see that, are, that, are, that prevail kind of in our culture and in our preaching that it's easy to be seduced because it, it looks good, it looks like the gospel, it looks like Jesus. You know, the, the, the circumcision party, they looked like Jesus. They were proclaiming him. They were proclaiming his death and his resurrection. They were seducing an entire congregation towards their way It wasn't like they were preaching something crazy. It could have been, but it wasn't. So there were a few things that came to mind. And one false doctrine that we need to run from when we hear it is there is no hell. This negates our trust that we need to have in Christ to be saved. See, when people begin to preach that there is no hell, what they're preaching is a cheap salvation and a cheap grace. But in actuality, what we know is that it was a very costly salvation that we needed so that we did not get in the graps of hell. That it was very costly salvation that we have before us today. That it was not something that was easy. It was not something that was cheap. and, And people that preach that there is no hell, what they are truly preaching is that it was a cheap salvation and cheap grace. See, I don't need to put my trust in Christ if there is no hell. Don't I don't need him. Why? Because we all go to heaven anyway. But in fact, Jesus, what his death and his resurrection did is it gave us the inheritance of salvation that all who believe in him would be saved. And so when we hear, you know, these, these people, you know, they you know. They go on Oprah, they go on all these different shows, they write books, millions of books sold, they have big churches, and it's easy to think, wow, you know, that, you know they're a preacher, they're, they're on, they're, it must be so, they're on Oprah, or they, they, sold, they have a best-selling book. You know, this is serious things that have invaded the culture of the church. There are churches that have subscribed to this, that they have given over their doctrine to preach a cheap grace message saying it doesn't matter what you believe or where you are. And what that does is it completely negates Christ, it takes him out of the equation completely. When we understand that he is the equation, there's no addition, there's no subtraction from him, there's nothing else, it is Christ alone and nothing else. And if you don't believe that, if you are one that says, I have subscribed, Justin, there is no hell, then I encourage you, go home and read 2 Peter 2. Think deeply about what you believe, think deeply about who you listen to because there is not only a penalty for that preacher, but there is a penalty for your soul. Know the consequences of what you believe. The consequences of who you let speak into your life. The second thing that I think is a, is a big false doctrine is that being good is enough. See, what this does is it takes Christ out of the center and it inserts you in the center. For the non-Christian... This negates what Christ needed to do to make me righteous because I can be righteous on my own. As long as I fill my to-do list up, as long as I have some great willpower this week, as long as, you know, right before I die, as long as I was good. See, the problem with good is it's so subjective. And when you really get down to what good is, you realize that none of us are good. Because when we break one part of the law, the Bible says we have broken the whole law. But then also, I think Christians struggle with this. Because a lot of times, in our heart of hearts, we think we can obtain it. We think, man, I don't have to do anything? Are you sure about that? Can God truly accept me because of someone else's actions? Are you positive? I remember sitting down with this one dude. He was a Christian for a decade. He had been going through a tough time in his life. I told him, man, all you have to do is just come before God now. He will accept your repentance. He will accept you because, thankfully, it's not on your merit. It's on his. And he said, no, Justin, you don't understand. I've been really bad. I can't pray right now. You don't understand. This guy, he had he had just lost his virginity. He was in his young 20s. He wanted, you know, he was a Christian since he was young, and he wanted to keep this until he was married. And so it was weighing heavily on him. But you know what? More than him falling into this adulterous sin, I was confirmed, I was concerned because his heart didn't really believe the gospel. You know, a lot of times somebody will be, oh, you know, you had sex with somebody. Let's talk about that because you shouldn't do that unless you're married. So we need to, we need to talk. Are you, when are you going to see her next? So you got to delete their number. Yeah, all that stuff is fine. But really, in, the, in his heart of hearts, he had a hard time believing what Jesus had done for him. And that, to me, was more concerning than what he had done. Because I know what he was doing was something that was coming from a place of not truly understanding what God had done. Because I realized in that moment that his Christianity was just him trying harder and harder every day, and some days you just can't try that hard, and you're going to fall. And so if your Christianity is not rooted in Jesus having done the work for you, instead of you trying to do the work today, then guess what? You will be weak, and you will fall. And that is saying to yourself that being good is enough as a Christian. The third thing that I've seen that has been a prevalent false doctrine is that God is your slot machine. (laughs) It's true. It's, It's hard sometimes to realize this because, you know, you go to a church and it's like, blessing, yes. Promotion, yes. Good things always, yes. God is good as long as. I have happiness, as long as I have a good job, as long as I have my house, as long as I get my promotion. And what this does is it puts material possession at the center of our trust and removes Christ. See, Christ is not the only thing. It's, yes, God is good because, guess what? When you walk out of here today, you're going to have a blessing, If you pray hard enough, you will get a promotion. If you read enough scripture, you will be the happiest person, always blessed and always good. And we've, we've manipulated that word blessing to mean material things in our life. We've manipulated so much of God's goodness, so much of his provision, so much of his blessing to mean that unless I have more material things... then God is not really good. And what this has done is it's taken Christ alone out of our hearts. And it said, yes, Christ, plus more money, plus a better job, plus a house. If I have this, then that is true salvation. And unless you have perfection 100% all the time, you are good, you are happy, you have promotions, you have more money, you have a bigger house, you're getting that boat, you have vacations, unless you have all that, then guess what? Something must be wrong in your life because God and what he has done given to us already, and salvation is not good enough. And we have added to it. Take care of what you feed yourself. Because I've seen these messages rob people spiritually. I have seen these messages rob people materially. I have seen these messages enslave people in their minds and in their hearts. I have seen these messages seduce people to sin over and over and over again. And this is why we need to protect the message. This is why Paul is so serious. This is why Paul says you cannot believe anything. You are severed from Christ if you go any other way. This is black and white. This is not gray. This is not up in the air. This is not open to interpretation. This is the message. This is the gospel. And anything else, we must be vigilant because it comes sweet. They, they throw scripture out there. They read the Bible. They have degrees. They have books. But yet, it is false. It is seducing. It is appeasing. It is easier than the costly salvation of Christ. the penalty of the true gospel teacher is something that we need to understand too because the penalty of the true gospel teacher is persecution. Paul here is not, only, is not being persecuted from outside the church, he's being persecuted from people in the church that are gossiping about him, that are speaking poorly of him, that are trying to get him ousted. We see it constantly in his letters and as he shares. And why is that? Because the gospel as we preach it, that it's Christ alone, it's a stumbling block, the Bible says in First Corinthians. It says the Bible is a, the, the gospel is a stumbling block to people. That means it's a hindrance naturally. To those who are wise, it seems foolish. To those who are strong, it seems weak. To those who are rich, it seems poor. To those who are politically correct, it seems bigoted. To those who are proper, it seems gruesome. Everything is backwards. A king who served others? It doesn't make sense. A lord who was born in poverty? I don't know about that. He had to die in order to win. He freed us from the law so that we can actually follow it. These things don't compute. They don't make sense. But the challenge of believing in the gospel is actually where most of its beauty is found. That's where you get to see the Wisdom of God, that yes, to those who are wise, it seems foolish, but the Bible says that the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisest of men. Yes, it seems weak to the strong, but guess what? God says in his scripture that the weakness of God is still stronger than men. This is the beauty of what we believe, that God took everything. Every preconception, every notion, he turned it upside down and said, I am still able. My prayer for this church is that we would be people that are rooted in his word, that we would be sound in his message, and that we would be unafraid of persecution when it comes. I want to encourage you today, if it's been a while since you opened up your Bible, to go home and open up your Bible and read it. Fall in love with the scripture. Fall in love with his message. Protect it in your heart. Learn about it. Know about it. Read. Find the good podcasts and the good books and the good preachers. And begin to devour and learn and love what it is. Scripture is replete with places that show the people who are rooted deeply in it, that understand it, that don't look for it to kind of placate myself or show my own truths in it, but look to it for its own truth, that believe it for what it's truly trying to say. Those are the people that are rooted. Those are the people that don't sway to and fro, that don't look in the mirror and then two seconds later forget their reflection. These are people who are rooted in Christ. And I pray that Zion, that our church, would be a church where our people are rooted in Christ. That we don't depend on the Sunday message to read scripture every week. That we don't depend on the pastor or the preacher to be our knowledge of scripture. But that when we go home, that we say, God, I want to know you. And we think of all these supernatural experiences to know him more. But in reality, he says, I've given you a book that teaches you all the things that you need to know about me. Read it, love it, protect it in your own heart and in the hearts of others. If you've never had or you don't have a Bible, come and tell me afterwards. Find, there's people that say, host, you can ask one of them. We'll buy you one, I'll get you a Bible. We'll help you read it. We'll tell you where to start, how to go through it. If you have questions, we'll be there for you to answer those questions. Because we are serious about this thing. Too many times it's, it's, it's all propped up, oh, it's the pastor's job to know the Bible. It's the pastor's job to read and to preach. I'm just going to take whatever he gives me. That's not how it's. It's our job to equip you to do this. That's what Scripture says. Stand and pray with me.